Matthew chapter 4, between verses uh, 12 and the end of the chapter in verse 25, really three things in summary happen. Uh, Jesus' own ministry begins. He's about 30 years of age. Uh, Last week we saw how he was, or the week before last we saw how he was baptised and then he was tempted or tested in the wilderness for his ministry and then he begins. Uh, His ministry focuses on a few. Uh, You might have noticed the names of four men, all fishermen, uh, who he he calls to follow him and at the end his ministry grows. Uh, It begins uh, in verse 17, it says, from that time Jesus began to preach, saying, saying, as it turns out, exactly the same thing John the Baptist had been saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. His ministry focuses when he calls Simon, Andrew, James and John and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Uh, And it grows. Great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Today we're going to look mainly just in that middle section. We're talking about fishers of men. But I want to spend a little bit of time uh, on, uh, on some geography Uh, because geography is not a thing that goes in my head and stays there very well, but sometimes just a picture of a map might be helpful for us. Uh, It may even be edifying sometimes uh, to look at a map sometimes, help to untangle some of the names that otherwise just wash over us, because you may have noticed there's a lot of names uh, of places in the passages we read today. Uh, And it may just help remind us that these are real places uh, and help us remember that some, and, and remembering that sometimes, that these are real places, can sometimes help us remember that this is real stuff. This is true history. In a real part of this real world, these things actually did happen. So here behind me is a map of the area in question. The blue is the Mediterranean Sea. Uh, and for reference to current events, uh, this area to the south. Uh, is where Gaza is. This is all over the news at the moment, uh, where the war is currently taking place. Uh, So this is a real place. It still exists today. Uh, Two weeks ago in chapter 3, we read about how John the Baptist was going around baptising. It said in verse 5 of chapter 3 that people from Jerusalem and all Judea were going out to him. Uh, So if this is Gaza down the bottom, here is Jerusalem, uh, north-east, Uh, And uh, this blue, in this blue region, is the area called Judea, or sometimes called Judah, for other reasons. Uh, Jerusalem was the capital. Jerusalem is still the capital today. John the Baptist's main audience, as you can see, is from this uh, heavily populated, uh, sort of the the important, powerful sort of centre of the state. Uh, Think Brisbane and Queensland's southeast corner, if we were to put this in comparison to a map of Queensland and way up north is the region called Galilee now this is out in the country this is what I think of as central Queensland if we're thinking um, in terms of a map of Queensland and chapter 4 verse 12 uh, tells us that John the Baptist was arrested Uh, we learn in another book of the Bible that John the Baptist was arrested because when he was telling everyone to repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he spoke to people all the way at the bottom of society, even all the way up to the top, to the king, Herod himself. And Herod didn't like being told to repent uh, by a woolly man. Uh, And so uh, Herod put John the Baptist in prison. We learn later that uh, he gets killed by Herod while he's in prison. 
But chapter 4, verse 12 says, John the Baptist was arrested, and at that time, Jesus withdrew to Galilee. So Jesus goes back up north. Jesus was raised uh, up north. Uh, These northern, more obscure regions are where Jesus spent the bulk of his ministry, actually. Uh, Apart from a couple of strategic pilgrimages to Jerusalem, you remember uh, that Jerusalem is where he was actually killed. Uh, It says in chapter 4, verse 13, that Jesus uh, left Nazareth, where he was raised, up in this northern area of Galilee, uh, and he lived in Capernaum, not far away, but right beside the sea. And that sea uh, is the Sea of Galilee, where he collected his fishermen, uh, in the passage we looked at today. It also says, uh, again... If you've got your Bible open, you'll see just this list of names that keep coming. So this, this might uh, sound a bit full on, but uh, it also says in verse 13 that this was the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. Okay, I'll get to that in a moment. Part of where we get lost in all of this is because different names are sometimes used for the same area. Um, so have you ever met a person, as, as an illustration, have you ever met a person from Sydney before? You probably have. And there's a chance you've met a person from Sydney and don't even know that you did. Because I'm going to give you a sample conversation uh, that mimics a bunch of conversations I've had with people from Sydney. So this is me speaking. Where are you from? Surrey Hills. Well, if I don't give up right there, I might ask the next next question. Oh, yeah, Surrey Hills. Where's that? I don't even know what state. Um, Oh, the inner east. Well, I'm about this far from giving up. But here goes. Oh, yeah, inner, inner east, yeah. Inner east of what? Oh, Sydney. Okay, thank you. Why didn't you just say Sydney? I'm from Emerald in central Queensland. That's pretty helpful. Um, But then even in Emerald, we've got our own names as well. There's Emerald. Sometimes uh, we think in terms of the region of central Queensland, sometimes the central highlands. Sometimes we're talking about being on the Capricorn. You see all these names featured in all these different businesses. Then at election time, we're told we're in Gregory or Flynn, depending on whether it's a state or federal election, and these are named after significant people in our history. So here's that other map uh, that I teased of the same area, and it's divided up quite differently, as you can see. And uh, this is where Zebulon Zebulon and Naphtali come in uh, from verse 13. They're at the top. They're basically the same as Galilee. Uh, You might be able to see the purple and the orange up near where those arrows are. Uh, these are two of the 12 tribes that Israel was divided into. Uh, And you can see down the bottom that Judea, where Jerusalem is, is actually called Judah, uh, after their ancient tribe leader. Uh, Coming back to this Zebulun-Naphtali thing, in verse 14 and 15 of Matthew chapter 4, uh, we are reminded of another prophecy from the book of Isaiah. This is something Matthew's been doing all along. Uh, He'll say that something occurred, and it occurred to fulfil a prophecy. Uh, These northern tribes, Naphtali and Zebulun, uh, were uh, were particularly vulnerable to attacks from Assyria, which is the superpower to the north. This is back in Old Testament times. Uh, And in 721 BC, Assyria actually utterly captured uh, the whole of the northern region, leaving pretty much only Judah left. Uh, but But in Isaiah which is quoted in Matthew chapter 4, verse 15, the gracious promise from God was that these afflicted people who had been vulnerable and would be captured, these people who are dwelling in darkness, it says, would see a great light. 
that those dwelling in the region of the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. And Jesus is that light. Uh, And he goes to where people are lost. He goes to where people have fewer opportunities. He goes to where people are often and most easily forgotten. But he goes to people. We'll come back to this map um, uh, to illustrate how Jesus is... how his ministry grew very early on. So again, this is, this is now coming down to the end of chapter 4. Uh, you remember John drew people mainly from this area in Judea. Matthew chapter 4 verse 25 says, Of Jesus that great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So Jesus operates in the yellow but he's drawing crowds from all over. Already the ministry that was begun with John is growing in the time of Jesus. So that's 1 and 3 where Jesus' ministry begins in Galilee and grows still in Galilee but to attract people from everywhere. And we see that the light is doing what light does. Uh, The light is shining in the darkness and he is drawing people to his safety. But let's talk about how Jesus focuses his ministry. And we'll do it under these headings. He's a fisher of fishermen who then become fishers of men uh, and the command is to follow and we'll have a quick look at how it is they follow. The famous line in all of this is when Jesus says to his disciples, I will make you fishers of men. What almost goes hidden in plain sight is that Jesus uh, in this is on his own fishing expedition. Uh, And so actually what the narrative is isn't of the men doing their fishing. It's Jesus doing his fishing and specifically fishing for fisher men. Here's something I've sometimes heard about this passage and I've had this thought myself. You might have noticed in verse 19, Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then in verse 20, it says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. Uh, I've heard this taught and I've thought this myself. Jesus just walked up to these men and said, follow me. And he did it cold. He didn't know them. They never met him before. And he must have spoken with such authority that even without context or knowing who spoke, they just dropped everything and go almost robotic with Jesus. Well, it's true that when Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority. But it's not true that these men didn't know him before that day. If you skim just the first three or four chapters of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John and put the details together, it's actually not very difficult to do. Uh, You look for the names Simon, Andrew, James and John and you will learn that these men had dealings with Jesus before this day. In fact, Jesus had lived in Simon's house. He had healed Simon's own mother-in-law. He'd had plenty to do with these men. They knew him well and intimately. But when it was time and he said, follow me, they followed him. And this means that they weren't compelled to follow Jesus merely because of some mysterious quality of authority in his voice but with a reasonably full knowledge of Jesus' character and power. When Jesus speaks, uh, he doesn't seem to compel people to follow and do what he says in this robotic kind of fashion. The other reason to question the narrative that they followed Jesus merely because they were compelled by his authority 
as well as the fact that they really did know him, so they had context. But the other reason to question uh, this version is that, um, is that it's just not how it works in literally any other situation. There's no other example in the Bible of where Jesus says, do this or do that, and people just go, oh yeah, okay, I'll do exactly as you say, and they don't have any thought or volition in it. In fact, when Jesus speaks to people, they resist more often than not. When Jesus speaks to natural elements or weather phenomena or illnesses or spirits, and we see all that at the end of the chapter, when he speaks to each of these things, they obey instantly and mechanically. But when Jesus speaks to people, they have what appears to be a choice. For example, Jesus heals a man of leprosy with a word and a touch. And then with the same voice that he heals the leprosy, he says to the leper, don't tell anyone what I have done. And the leper goes and tells everyone what Jesus has done. So there's not exactly this magical... There seems to be some sort of magical quality to the voice of Jesus, but humans can do what they like. Jesus' ministry was commanding people to repent, and many did, but more didn't. And then we've got this one, which is relevant because it contains the specific instruction to follow me. This is a time when Jesus says to someone, follow me. Jesus said to him, this is a, a rich young man who comes to Jesus. And Jesus says, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. But the young man heard this and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. We don't know exactly what happens next, but tradition uh, and the best understanding because of the silence is that he went away and he never came back. Uh, He left Jesus, even though he was invited to follow me. Now, we often talk about this as free will. Uh, We're given uh, this choice, this option of uh, what will we do with what God says to us. And that's right, there there is a freedom here. But notice the direction that free will is typically pulled in away from Christ, is where we tend to run. Free will is, at best, moderately good. At its worst, free will is deadly. Because given the options and every tool to make wise choices, we still, each of us, instinctively demonstrate the tendency to pull away from Christ or to leave him at best on the fringes of our life doesn't talk about this in the passage but um, it appears that we really do need God's help to follow God. Uh, We need his Holy Spirit uh, given to us to even incline us in the first place to receive the invitation, to be given a new heart so that we uh, long, not like robots but with hearts and soul made new by Christ uh, to be with him and to follow him. This is Jesus' fishing expedition. Notice also uh, that a good number of Jesus' initial 12 disciples are made up of fishermen, people of a specific trade. 
Uh, and there seems to be in this uh, a metaphor that Jesus is very happy to lean into. Uh, we hear about um, growing the gospel um, and, uh, and growing the church and spreading the faith. Uh, and Jesus uh, uses other metaphors at different times. A, a very popular one is growing seed. Uh, you spread seed to spread the word, and depending on where the seed falls, it depends on uh, and how it grows, uh, is, is a picture of uh, how well it's grown or how well it's received and whether it's fruitful or not. Uh, but Jesus here uses the men's own profession to talk about fishing. Uh, he wants men in his kingdom who will fish not only for fish, but fish for men. I don't know, I don't know for sure, right, because I'm sort of doing something from absence, it's not there, but I don't, I don't know for sure, but I don't know that Jesus would have used the same uh, metaphor if the men were hunters, for example. There is a difference between fishing and hunting. So in both, you have a prey, and in both, uh, you, are, uh, you are reading conditions and following tracks and uh, looking for the right spot to find your prey. But then in hunting, you line up the sights, you take careful aim and you shoot them dead and then you drag them home. But with fishing, there's, there's, now there's elements of luck in all of this, but with fishing, there's a, there's a little bit more and, and, and not just you know, the fishing that we tend to think of, but with a net as well. You hang the net, you throw out the line and there's a bit of waiting and hoping. It's kind, it's, it is a slightly... Now, look, it's deadly, right, for the fish. We're still catching fish to cook them and eat them. Uh, but uh, there is this gentler sort of approach to it, that you hang the bait, you offer the word, you give the opportunity, and some will swim into the net and some will not. Jesus wants men to go out uh, who will hang the bait put it out there, spread the word, and that's their job. He asks us to be faithful uh, with what he's given us uh, and leave the results up to him and others. And he says to his disciples, to James uh, and John and Simon and Andrew, that he wants for them to be fishers of men. This is the second point, which is we've sort of already been floating in the second point there, to be fishers of men, uh, which is to share the word. Uh, and this, is, uh, this not only applies, I don't believe, to, uh, to only the disciples that Jesus first spoke to, but this is the shape of the kingdom uh, that Jesus is establishing on earth, uh, that all who follow him would be engaged in the same fishing project. So, friends, if you follow Christ, you are a fisher of men. And there's at least three ways to apply this. And they apply to all of us, but maybe in different measure to each of us. So first of all, the first way to apply this is to actually share the gospel. Teach Jesus to your friends and your family. Give so the word, hang the bait... Be faithful in what God has given you. Train yourself in, uh, in, in, in understanding Scripture so you can explain it. Train yourself in understanding Scripture so you can apply it to yourself and model it. 
But be a person who evangelizes, who looks for opportunities and creates opportunities to share the gospel and your faith with friends. That's one thing. And that's the duty of everyone who belongs to Christ. There's a second thing you can do. And that's support those who evangelize. Support other fishers of men. And that's our job too. That's the job of everyone as well. It, it's, even as I say that it's everybody's role and duty as a follower of Christ to be engaged in uh, this fishing uh, project, some people are more skilled and have more opportunities than others. And that's okay because we, all of us, get to support those who are more skilled and who are given more opportunities than others. Support evangelists. Support them uh, by praying for them. Support them uh, by, uh, uh, financially, if you're able, so that they can be free to do the work. Support them uh, by bringing your friends to them and making mutual friends and, and, uh, and crossing friendship groups. And by the way, when I talk about evangelists, I'm not talking about a, uh, like a role or a title necessarily. We don't know too many people who are called evangelists. Um, but here's a, here's a few examples of people who might be evangelists. Myself, as a minister of the church, I'm given freedom that you don't all have uh, and flexibility uh, to be in positions to share the gospel. I've been given training as well and I've sorted out. Uh, and so I'm an evangelist that I would appreciate uh, your support, uh, prayerfully and financially, and I, and I know I receive that. Uh, another evangelist uh, might be a missionary, uh, someone who goes overseas with the gospel, uh, and, it's, and it's our task to uh, support them financially and with prayer as well. And then there's those evangelists who are everyday people like you and I, who are just naturally more gifted at this thing, who just are so good by God's grace that they don't have a role and they kind of don't need it they just have an impulse and a sort of an attractive magnetic force about them that they go out and share and let's support them as well Uh, and you can probably think of some people who might be sitting beside you who fit that category let's support those so evangelize support evangelists and pray for workers Uh, this is again this is Mixing metaphors because we've been talking about fishing. But the harvest, Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the labourers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labourers into his harvest. So we should be praying uh, not only for the workers that already exist, but that God would raise up more and more. And can I say this word as well? Maybe you are one of these people. Uh, Maybe God would call you to be a fisher of men in a more full-time or trained-up capacity. We each need to ask that question and have that question asked of us because workers for the harvest are out here. And we actually do have some people in this church already doing training and seeking full-time ministry, but we've got young people in this church too, and some of them will grow and seek out these opportunities. Let's support them. And if you're a young person and that feels a little bit exciting to you, then let's start talking about it now, uh, and let's be praying for you uh, as you uh, seek to fish for men for Christ. And just very finally, there is this command to follow. And have a look at Have a look at what following looks like in this specific scenario. Jesus says in verse 19 
to James and John. They're in the act of casting a net. And he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. I bet their mum thought, gee, they didn't even tidy up after themselves. They just left it there in a heap. No planning. I mean, that's, that's the very distinct impression we get. They left them in a pile. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father. They're mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. It goes without saying that they left their nets, but it sort of raises the stakes somewhat to remind us that these guys have left their family. Their father in the lurch, who's probably been uh, building up this family business to pass on to his kids, and maybe uh, he's got that dream even for his kids to follow that, or maybe he was saying, go, sons, go, do it. We don't know that part of the story. But either way, there's some untidiness here. Someone's been left in the lurch, and they've left everything. Following Jesus uh, comes at a cost, and you don't always know what the cost is going to be. But he doesn't really give people the opportunity to just hang back for too long. There's a point when you're fishing where you pull the net out of the water, whether it's got fish in it or not. Or you reel in your bait and pack up and go home, whether there's anyone on there or not. need to be prepared if we're taking Jesus at his word and taking his invitation as it stands to leave everything, if we must, to follow him. Now, many of us don't have to go very far, uh, but uh, there are plenty of people who have uh, found opposition at home uh, when they've uh, followed Christ, and I know people here. Go to uni, you hear the gospel from a friend, you become a Christian and you tell your parents and they think, oh, great. Or maybe you're married and you follow Christ and it's a constant source of tension, but what would you choose? Christ or no? Many times uh, we just have to leave our expectations and our hopes and we don't know uh, what God's going to give us. We don't know how things are going to pan out, but we're asked to follow Jesus, uh, leaving everything and leaving it to him. We are going to sing in closing... Uh, let your kingdom come. And I'm just going to want to read some of the words before, uh, before I pause uh, to pray. Uh, this song is chosen to, to match with, uh, with the passage today. Your glorious cause, O God, engages our hearts. Well, it's a different spin on things. It's not just uh, that we've been commanded, but actually this is true too, isn't it? Or, or shouldn't it be that uh, we are so engaged with the good news of the gospel that Jesus died and gave himself for me that I, I'm... I'm compelled internally to share that with others. May Jesus Christ be known wherever we are. We ask for your renown. The cross has saved us. So we pray your kingdom come. Let's pray and then we'll sing this song together. Father in heaven, may your kingdom come. May your will be done. May all... uh, who are given the opportunity uh, 
uh, to hear the gospel and to learn about you come to you. To come and uh, find food and drink and rest for their souls. Father, we confess that uh, to the invitation to follow you, uh, even still in our daily walks, uh, we find our own uh, free will and natural instinct is to uh, push you to one side and for us to pull in the other direction. God, forgive us for our sins, forgive us for our waywardness, forgive us for our ha- um, half-heartedness. Please help us follow you. Uh, help us to learn what it might be for us to leave and drop everything. Put everything on the line uh, for life, the life that you offer. Father, we uh, pray for those uh, who are engaged in the task of uh, fishing for men. Thank you for the people you've given us who are uh, particularly gifted uh, in just organically sharing their faith. Uh, Please uh, help them and strengthen them uh, to do so with energy and joy. Uh, We pray for for each of us that you'll help us to grow in this, even as uh, many of us find it challenging. Help us to look for opportunities and to take them when they come and to even create opportunities if we could be so bold as to share uh, the gospel with our friends and family, whatever the cost, because the reward is great and we stand to gain more uh, than we stand to lose. Father, thank you for extending your invitation to follow you Uh, May we follow your son uh, wherever he leads. Amen.